Today's reading is from Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You may be seated. As you're seated, please allow me to pray for us. Father, we ask you now as we linger in your word and seek to understand you in greater ways and experience you in greater ways, we ask you that you'd pour your spirit out upon us, that we might know fully your love, that we might know and comprehend your love toward us in Christ, that we might live in light of that truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So a couple awkward things to get out of the way first. Yes, I'm on crutches. Uh, Yes, my right knee is going to get larger as I preach, Uh, is going to continue to swell, and that's okay. We're going to be okay. I'm going to make my way through it. I had surgery about two and a half weeks ago uh, in recovering from a motorcycle accident about a year ago. Um, and every time, this is how I know my heart's not quite right. Every time I, I say that I'm recovering from a motorcycle accident, I do need to, to say it wasn't my fault. That's I feel like I need to tell you that. Just that I'm, it wasn't my fault. It was, it, was, it was the fault of the person who caused the accident and then fled the scene, actually. So if that was you, come talk to me later. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> probably good on a Sunday, actually. Probably right when we're celebrating communion, come and talk to me. That'll be the most gracious of my entire week. Um, no, so I'm, I'm just recovering. I'm doing quite well. Thank you very much. I uh, appreciate uh, many of you have sent notes and stuff. Apparently, somebody said something over the last couple of weeks because all of a sudden my inbox started filling up with nice, encouraging things. And so I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that you knew already. Uh, we are in this little series kind of in between our conclusion of Galatians and our beginning of Proverbs, which is starting in July. We're going to be in Proverbs in July and then the Sermon on the Mount in September. Uh, in this little series, we sat down and figured out we've got a few weeks here. What are we going to do and what do we need to attack maybe topically that we could hit that we haven't maybe been able to talk about for a while. So I asked Jake if he would do a message on hospitality because he's been talking about it nonstop and he's building the the, the church planting team, the launch team that are planting East Van, uh, really centered around hospitality and a gospel-centered hospitality, and I think it's really great. And so he spoke on that. And what I didn't realize was he then felt that he had some leverage over me where he could impose a topic on me as well. So he asked me if I would preach on the gospel and technology, and I was relaxed that afternoon, and I said, sure. Now, when he said that, uh, I think he meant like, you know, five, five things you need to pay attention to on your smartphone or something like that was probably what it was. But for me, when he asked me to speak on the gospel and technology, my mind kind of went into overdrive because I've been really curious for about the last year and a half about things like artificial intelligence, uh, genetic modifications, and in genetic engineering. I've been really interested in transhumanism and things that are uh, going on right now in different parts of the world where they're implanting chips in people's brains that are helping with epilepsy and Parkinson's. And, and then in looking at how that technology is probably an, at some point going to actually fuse our mind with access to a computer, the computer chip in our mind, which will give us access to a computer somewhere else where we'll be able to think in that way. And that's all happening actually in the world of technological advancement. And uh, I got really excited about all of that. And then I thought that's actually not what I'm supposed to be preaching about. So, so don't worry, it's going to be okay. 
that's not what I'm talking about. But those things are fascinating. And here's what I would say really quickly. Some of you actually should consider learning and maybe even doing uh, some uh, graduate work or, or you know, doctoral work in ethics in this area as a Christian because we're going to need help. And so I would just say that to you. If that's for you today, take that home and pray about it, okay? I think that's something that you need to be thinking through because the rapid advancement of technological innovation in our world is going to demand that we as Christians understand what it means to be human and what it means to understand the technology that we are then uh, integrating with and using. So anyways, like I said, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more, but not a whole bunch more. Um, because there are people um, like Ray Kurzweiler who who is... Um, Ray Kurzweil works for Google. He's one of their chief engineers. You might not know his name, but you probably have been deeply impacted by some of the algorithmic stuff that he's put into motion and the way that some of the artificial intelligence with Google search engines work. He actually has this theory. And so this is, I get so excited about this. I'm not supposed to do that. I'm going to do it. So I've never done this really before. Just so you know, this is not easy. I feel very constrained right now. He believes that by 2029, uh, the computers that we have are going to have equal with human intelligence. And they're going to be able to think kind of like we do now. But he also believes, and he's made these predictions, um, that by 2045, we're going to move towards something that he calls a singularity, where that information technology, that understanding and that intelligence actually multiplies by about a billion of what it is right now. And by 2045, we will be able to fuse our intelligence with the intelligence of the artificial intelligence computers that are being built. And we'll be able to fuse that together. And so he is 71 years old now, and he's hoping to live to 2045 because he believes he'll be able to upload his consciousness to the cloud, and then thereby he can be immortal. Okay, this is not a guy out like in the desert on peyote or like on an acid trip. This is one of the top Google engineers. Like he gets paid a lot of money to think about this stuff, and that's what he thinks is going to happen. His predictions over the last 25 years or so have been quite accurate in terms of our technological innovations. I'm not sure if we're going to get there, but what I'm saying is, if you think you might see 2045, you need to think about that. Not so that you can be immortal. We kind of have a deal on that one already. We we, we believe that we're going to live for eternity with God. And so, welcome to Christ City. That's actually one of the things we believe. You, You don't need Ray Kurzweil to tell you how to become immortal by uploading your consciousness to the cloud, which then can continue on. But we probably should have an answer for why he wants to do that. Don't you think? So it's important for us as followers of Jesus in 2019 in the city of Vancouver to think about the gospel and to think about technology in light of the truth of the gospel. And so um, we're going to go there. You don't need to care about what Ray Kurzweil says. You don't need to go into the YouTube rabbit holes that I've gone into. That's fine. I did it for you. But you do need to think about how you are and how you will utilize technology. You do have to think about this. Here's why. Stephen Monsma said, we, are, uh, we must understand technology in order to live responsibly before the creator because, although most of us are not directly involved in doing technology, we are all consumers of the fruits of technology and live in a society suffused with modes of thought shaped by technology. To understand technology, we need to be aware of it, to comprehend its nature, and to recognize the role it plays in culture. Uh, Monsma wrote that in 1985, probably on a typewriter, but we can still trust him. He's right. We need to think about this so that we can live faithful lives before God. That's why we're talking about technology. We need to think about this so that we can love our neighbor as ourselves. It's very important for us today. 
we need to think about this because yes, technology is something that man has created, but what you need to know about technology is that technology is what actually is shaping man. You see, we've created it. We have fashioned it. We've formed it. We've shaped technology, but then we are shaped by the technologies that we engage with. Our character, our experience of what it means to be human is actually formed and shaped on a daily basis by the technologies that we create and we use. And so try to lodge this in your brain. Humans create technology. Technology shapes humans. Simple example. How's your penmanship? How's your penmanship? Okay. I'm not trying to call anybody out in here, but if you're of a certain age, your penmanship is legible. If you are younger than a certain age, your penmanship is illegible because you have typed everything since you were in school. So I started typing everything out in terms of notes about 20 years ago, and I've been tapping on letters on a screen for about 12 years. And now if I write anything down, like handwritten in a note, if I don't transcribe that into a digital format, I can't read it within a couple days because I can't remember what I wrote. We, we create technology and then technology shapes us. That's a dumb example, but you can apply that to a hundred different areas in your life. But a hundred years ago, the vast majority of people uh, in the nation of Canada worked on farms. Uh, the invention and the increase of agricultural technology has made it possible so that a very small minority of people in our country work as farmers And they can actually provide food for everyone. Uh, In Canada, Statistics Canada says that it's 1.8% of our population now that uh, works in agriculture. 1.8% of our population. Uh, About 100 years ago, uh, agriculture made up for over 30% of every job that you could think of. Which means that all of the families associated with those farms, because they were largely family farms, that's more than half of the population of the country. That's 1.8% now. Technology has shifted things. What happens, though, as we have technological innovation and shift is that things change very slowly, so there are certain jobs that this generation didn't even know existed before. And the generation before that, there were jobs that they didn't know existed in the generation before. And so as things move along culturally and things move along technologically with innovation and development, what ends up happening is the growth curve goes like this and then it spikes and it's continuing to spike. And so technological innovation is happening faster and faster and faster. So we're not looking now at what happened a hundred years ago. We're looking at the fact that your iPhone's only 12 years old. Can you remember a world before smartphones? That's crazy to some of us in the room. Uh, The youth who just went next door have never existed in a world where there was not a smartphone. Okay, that seems like that seems like my whole life has been on an iPhone or a a BlackBerry that I had before that. It's just hilarious. If anybody uses those anymore, it's great. If you use one, you're probably like in the Secret Service or an agent of um, because they're actually like encrypted really well. Um, anyways. Forbes wrote an article talking about how technology has replaced over 90% of the jobs that humans used to do. 90%. So, I mean, you look, that's a historical view, very wide historical view. So that's a big shift in culture. Here's how we're going to look at this today. What is technology? Very quickly, try to answer the question. What is technology? Why is technology? And then we're going to look at the motivation for technological development, wisdom for technological use, and the goal of our technological participation what it is, why it is, motivation for technological development, wisdom for technological use, and the goal of our participation in it. So what is technology? Simple definition, the applied 
Or the application of scientific knowledge for practical purposes, especially in industry. That's basically technology. Think about it like this. You've got a very large rock, and you were alive 5,000 years ago, and or 10,000 years ago, I don't know, and you've got a very large rock, and you lean on it, and you go, I need to move this rock out of the way because it's in my path, and you go, ah, I can't move the rock. What you do, you grab a stick, you put the stick underneath it, you use the force that you were applying to the rock directly before you apply that force to the stick. The stick is very strong because my metaphor is going to hold up, and you push... You push on it and you create the leverage and you've just invented technology. Engineering, leverage, taking the force, applying it to something, using a tool, and now you can move your rock. Okay, Very, very simple, rudimentary. That's basically what we're talking about. So I'm not only talking about the digital era that we live in. I'm talking about technology in general. So uh, technological development is all over the Bible. That's when somebody said this to me this week, um, one of our pastors, so I won't tell you who it was. I said, well, what's in the Bible about technology? And I was like, it's everywhere. And he was like, I don't think so. And I said, yes, it is. And then we had a funny conversation about how I was right. <laughs> okay, Adam and Eve had a son, and they, they named him Cain. It says in Genesis 4 that Cain built cities. Some technological innovation that goes into building a city. Uh, in a description of the lineage of Cain, uh, there was a guy named Jubal, who it says was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. High culture is invented. Music. Instruments to play music. Uh, Tubal Cain, also in his generation, was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. Um, basically, he heated up metal and turned it into tools. Instruments of bronze and iron. Actually, interestingly, that's an alloy, which meant that they found that there was a way to make a stronger metal by mixing two metals together at a certain percentage so that it would be a better tool. It's a technological innovation. Uh, Noah was told to build an ark. Abraham and Isaac dug wells to get fresh water in the desert. Bezalel was filled with the spirit of God to build the tabernacle. That's in Exodus 31. It says he was with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Gets used negatively as well. Uh, We know that Aaron, Moses' brother Aaron, made a golden calf. He used some tools to make that. Uh, King Uzziah employed uh, what in, in the scriptures translated as skillful men. I think if we were, maybe we could call them engineers. He actually employed them to create weapons of war for him, uh, things that would shoot arrows and machines that would hurl huge stones, like a catapult. It's in Second Chronicles 26. Psalm 20 actually talks about human reliance on technology. Listen to this. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Where do you put your trust? So this is starting to, to, you're starting to see what I mean when I say there's technological development and innovation all through the scriptures. Uh, Paul writes letters to churches that get copied down. There's technological things that are going on there. I don't know if you know that Jesus was a carpenter. I'm sure he was trying to figure out how to make better chairs. Those are all great. Those are all wonderful. But what we need to do is go one layer deeper than just what is technology, but why is technology? Here's the question. Why is technological development even a thing? Like, Why is this something that human beings, since their creation, have been after? Why are we invested in this? Why are we people who pay attention to this and try to find processes that are better? We try and find tools that are better. We try and you know, streamline our process in everything by employing better technology with it. Why are we like that? Genesis 1, you heard it read earlier, verses 26 to 28. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea 
and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And verse 28 is very interesting. And it says, God blessed them. And God said to them, number one, be fruitful and multiply. Number two, fill the earth and subdue it. And number three, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 28's got three specific things in it that I want to highlight for you. Be fruitful and multiply. That is the procreation mandate. We have 7 billion people plus on the planet now because God made it fun. Procreation mandate is wonderful. He didn't have to make it fun and he didn't have to involve us in it at all. But he did. He did. It says, number two, fill the earth and subdue it. That's what we would call the cultural mandate. Again, why are we people who are interested in forming culture? In cultivating things? Well, it's because we were created in his image and he is the creator. We as his creation also are given toward creation. We like that kind of thing, and we want to cultivate. He called us to do it. I'll show you in a minute. The third thing says, have dominion over it. Uh, basically, have dominion over it all. Um, this is what Jake highlighted last week, talking about the stewardship mandate. This is what he talked about with creation care. We did not create it. We don't own it. We're the stewards who care for it. It's the call that we have as followers of Jesus to say there's something important about the way we take care of the planet we live on. So technology, I think, in technological development, fits into the broader category of the cultural mandate, the fill the earth and subdue it part. God brings Adam and Eve into the garden. It's raw, raw nature. And ever since then, we've gone beyond that, filling the world with culture, if I could say it that way. Technological development, increase of goods, and means. So we are literally called to cultivate it, to fill the earth and subdue it. Um, Richard Mao has written much about this kind of thing, and he's interacting with a, a theologian named Henry Van Til. This is what Richard Mao says. Henry Van Til contends that human cultural activity, which then he quotes Van Til, that activity of man, the image bearer of God, by which he fulfills the creation mandate to cultivate the earth, to have dominion over it and subdue it. So he's talking about culture and the cultural mandate that it is not an incidental feature of our created nature rather it is an expression of man's essential being as created in the image of god and since man is essentially a religious being it is expressive of his relationship to god that is of his religion so what he's saying is when human beings develop technology and innovate in this world as part of the more broad cultural mandate, what we're doing is acting in line with our being. Okay, we were created to do this. This is a part of our participation in what it means to be human under the authority of God. We were created in the image of the creator to cultivate his creation. Okay, Richard Mao, in a different book, he says, the directive to fill the earth, from verse 28, is not to be thought of primarily as a reproductive command. The filling of the earth is a cultural activity. God placed Adam and Eve in what he calls a primary environment. 
a garden containing animal and vegetative life with the understanding that human beings would fashion a secondary environment, a cultural one, out of those primal materials. When our first parents fashioned tree branches into rudimentary tools, or when they invented a basic labeling system, or when they created schedules as a means of organizing their lives, in all this, they were developing the cultural potential of the original creation as a means of fulfilling their original mandate from God. So when you go home Sunday afternoon... And you go, man, that Tupperware drawer is a mess. I'm going to bring some order to it. Participating in who God created you to be. Right? You organize that closet to the glory of God. Do you ever do something like that and then stand back and go, yeah, that's right. I did that. Right? Do you ever do that? Every time I mow my lawn, I hate doing. And then every time I'm done, I'm like, well, that looks good. It's like you want to stand there and enjoy what you have done. It is who you are. You are acting in line with your being. We were called to participate in what God is doing, which is why the procreation mandate is something we participate in. Like I said, he didn't have to do it that way, but he chose to do it that way. He invites us into that. The cultural mandate's the same thing. He could have created a static world with no innovation with nothing else that we would ever create. He could have just left it that way. But he didn't. He called us to fill and subdue. To fill it culturally. And that is part of... And technological development is under that banner, I believe. So trying to answer the question why technological development is even a thing, I think it's because it is hardwired into the heart, mind, being of every single human. That we would participate in this, create and develop and grow. That's what I think. But does that mean that we always do it well? No. Uh, Ray Kurzweil wants to achieve immortality in his own strength while he denies the existence of God. It's actually interesting. I'm going to for sure run out of time. It's very interesting. If you, if you engage with what he thinks, uh, and, and he, he gets asked by people, do you believe in God? And he says, um, not yet. He says, do you believe in the existence of God is actually the question. And he says, not yet. What he thinks is the technological evolution uh, is outpacing what he would call biological evolution. And that at a certain point, there will be an infinite being that we have created. And it will be godlike. So he doesn't believe in God, but he believes that at some point, something is going to achieve you know, uh, omniscience and know everything. That's kind of a... Anyways, like I said, the guy works at Google. He's got a real job and everything. He's actually, he's actually brilliant. It'd be, yeah. Um, I'm going to tell you about this even though I'm going to run out of time. Uh, there's a book called Creation Regained by a guy named Albert Walters. And in that book, I think he gives a very helpful paradigm for us to think through this. So I said, why, why is there technology? Well, we talked about it being ingrained and almost built into the, the creational structure of society. But then you've got different ways that that goes. So that goes very well, and we serve God, and we glorify God with our technological innovation or whatever cultural thing that we're a part of. Or it goes very poorly, and we start to do crazy things like maybe a person uh, who believes in uh, you know, building more bombs. I don't know. You, you fill in the blank. 
the creational structure is there so that every human being has this drive to participate in creation of something like this and cultivation of culture, technological innovation on different levels. And so some of you are programmers and some of you are hackers who get paid by other people because you were such a good hacker that you got hired by the government. Or you, like, this is, these are like different roles that are going on in our room. There's people here who are building websites. There's people here who are engineering buildings. There's people here who are organizing Tupperware drawers. Okay. A really well-organized Tupperware drawer will stir my affections for Christ. I'm just telling you. Okay? This is built into the creational structure of society, but there are different spiritual directions that it can take. Which is why you can see that every single person, whether they acknowledge it or not, were created in the image of God for his purposes, but they can take it and do wicked things with that impulse in them. God-denying, self-glorifying things that are not healthy for the world or themselves. Creational structure, but two different directions that it would go. One we would call the fall, and the other would look at the redemptive edge of it. And so are we utilizing technology in ways that highlight the redemptive edge of God's goodness in this world and how much he loves us? That's the gist of the question. So Walter's work on that is very helpful. Um, You can think about that with lots of different examples, but, I mean, sex would be one of them. God created into the structure of our humanity that we would be sexual beings. But apart from his intervention in our life in a redemptive way, we can take that in a very destructive path or we can honor him with it and it can be holy. This is just one example, but you can build that out in a lot of different ways. So that's what is technology? Why is technology? Well, it's hardwired into the human condition to create in this way. And so moving on really quickly into the motivation of technological development. The motivation of technological development. Um, To do that, I want to contrast two biblical stories. Two biblical stories, one from Genesis chapter 11. They were seeking to build a tower unto their own glory and greatness. And the second is from Second Chronicles chapters 2 through 7, really, where they were seeking to build a temple that they might worship God. Two contrasting stories of building, the tower and the temple. Let me read it, Genesis 11, 1 through 4. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks, burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So think about this in terms of technological development. They drew up plans for a city and a tower some sort of engineering, civil engineering, structural engineering work going on, involved in all of that. They had crews who made bricks. You didn't get them at Home Depot, you made them. And because they had to invent the technology to make the brick, that's an interesting thing. They had bitumen for mortar, they had crews to set up the bricks, to build the bricks, or to make the bricks, burn the bricks, and then collect the bricks, transport the bricks to the people who are stacking the bricks to make the tower that would be built unto their own glory. Okay? God responded to their efforts to glorify themselves by coming down, judging them, confusing their language, and dispersing them. Okay, now shift into the temple. I'm not going to read this, but 2 Chronicles 2 and 3 is where you can start the story. Exact same 
stuff going on as you would do in the building of the tower to build the temple. They had to get stones for the construction. They had imported cedar beams coming in from Lebanon. So, you know, you've got transportation stuff that you're now technologically innovating to make it the most effective means and the cheapest way to go about that. You've got a mine that would then produce these different metals. And so they had uh, gold and silver and bronze and iron. And so you had to like refine those metals, which is another technological development. They had people working with fabrics, which means they had people weaving and looming, all kinds of things. They had woodworkers and framers. They had artists working with them with engraving and adornment inside the temple. These are all happening. Second Chronicles 2 tells us that Solomon had 150,000 people working on this project. What was the response of God when the project was complete? Did he come down, confuse their language, and scatter them all out? No, he did not. It says in Second Chronicles 7, verses 1 through 3, As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, it was a prayer of dedication, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord in the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks. Thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The tower was built as a monument to the greatness of man, and it was abandoned when God judged their motives. The temple was built as a means of honoring God and worshiping him, and it was blessed with his manifest presence. And there they worshiped. Do not think the motivation of your technological participation and development is a zero-sum thing. Don't, don't think it's meaningless. Motivation is everything. The technology behind the atomic bomb and the nuclear power plants that power cities around the world are not that different. The technology behind medicine that heals, vaccines and antibiotics and all sorts of things that heal the science behind that, and even the scientists who are creating that, are not trained that much differently from the people who are producing all kinds of chemical weapons that are used upon populations to just eradicate a certain people group. The motivation matters. The technology behind the camera in your smartphone that lets you take those adorable pictures of your kids or your dog or your cat, if you're a cat person, I don't know. Motivation of the heart is a tough thing to get into. The technology behind that camera is not that much different than the technology that is being used on a grand scale in a certain country in our world where they're turning it into a surveillance state to control their population. You can, you can have a photographer taking a telephoto lens picture of a, a wonderful thing going on in creation, and then you can have that same thing happen to control people. It's actually interesting. 70 years ago today was the, uh, was 1984 by George Orwell first published. So you might want to send some books to certain countries in the world and they can read them. The same first century Roman roads that carried soldiers across the empire so that they could go and wage war on other nations. Those same technologically advanced roads in the Roman Empire were the same roads that were used by the missionaries when they took the gospel to the ends of the earth. Same usage, different motive. The same printing press that made it accessible to get a Bible in the 16th century and made it accessible to get Reformation literature that was coming out 
Martin Luther started publishing in 1517 these Reformation documents that were helping the church come back to a more faithful position and place, and they were disseminating those widely. You know that it was about uh, eight years later, seven years later, 1524, when the first mass-produced pornography was sent out? Same tool, same technological development, very different motive. Okay, the technological developments of the internet untold good in connecting us, untold good in access to information. We're doing so many good things with the way that the internet is being used. And that same technological development, there's a study that that one company did, 2015 to 2017, a two-year period. In two years, people watched over one million years of pornography. In two years, on one website. So just let that scale settle in for a second. Are you using your smartphone to study God's word and memorize scripture? Or is that where your viewing portal into that world is? Or or in some very, very weird way about the strangeness of the cultural moment we live in, is it both? The motivation is very important. Are you building a tower or are you building a temple? How will you engage the technological developments all around you? Are you praying prayers like David where he said, search me and know my heart. Tell me if there's any wicked way in me. Is there any grievous way in me? And then lead me in your way everlasting. Are we praying those prayers? Not only about our Bible reading in our church life and our community groups and our service and the way that we care and volunteer. Are we praying it about the way that we engage with all forms of technology? Secondly, the wisdom of technological usage. So that's the motivation now with the wisdom. Um, have you thought about this at all? <laughs> like, do you have a, an operative grid or lens that you view this through on what you will engage with and what you won't? Or do you just kind of go, oh, this seems like an easy way to go. That seems like a fun thing to do. Seems like a great film to watch. Have you thought through it? What does that look like for you? We need wisdom. Because there's times where it's not right or wrong. (laughs) Do you understand? It's not right or wrong. You need wisdom to be able to figure out how to navigate these very strange times. So let's talk. I could take this a hundred different directions. One example, uh, current multimedia digital technology right now. I think you're probably more concerned about technology today than when they figured out how to, you know, take two different metals and make a stronger sword. So let's talk about that for a second. We live in the age of distraction. We live in the age of distraction. Uh, 1985, which is a very long time ago, Neil Postman said, we are a people on the verge of amusing ourselves to death. That was very prophetic. He also said people will come to adore the technologies that undo their capacities to think. (laughs) I know at least one person in this room who doesn't own a cell phone. The rest of us are distracted. (laughs) Honestly, if you want to succeed in anything that you feel called to do in your life, one of the skills that employers are going to be looking for all over the planet is the ability to focus in an age of distraction. Can you buckle down and work? Or are you just perpetually distracted? Some of the youth in the room are like, I don't understand. It's because your entire life has been distracted. And this is just normal for you. And it's actually jacked up your brain. And so you have to learn and undo some of those things that have been in your life from your birth. 
Uh, there's actually a study, this is a great study, in 2015 that says that being distracted by text messages and emails while you are working uh, leads to a temporary 10-point drop in your IQ. Like some of you, that's, that's 10% of your IQ, you know what I'm saying? 10-point <laughs> drop, that's significant. Here's, here's the greatest part of this study itself. That is twice the drop of being high on marijuana. Now, I'm not advocating for that. It's not like you can change your cell phone in for weed. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is you need to think about this. Have you ever... Uh, we won't go down that road. I used to work when I was high, when I was younger, before I got saved. I would do work like that. I wasn't particularly effective. If the drop in my IQ because of my cell phone and emails is twice the amount of being high on marijuana, we should reconsider everything we do. Like, this needs to change. So why are we living in such a distracted age? This is, this is interesting because uh, greedy people are producing products that are intentionally addictive and distracting as humanly possible. And you go, oh, that's just hyperbole. He's just overstating that. I'm not. Let me, let me show you. Corporations are literally monetizing your inability to use technology with wisdom. In 2017, the founding president of Facebook, uh, Sean Parker, who was also, if you're old enough to remember Napster, he's the guy that created Napster. He was the founding president, one of the early investors in Facebook. Uh, he said this, the thought process when building Facebook, he said, was to figure out, and I quote, how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit, which is the pleasure receptor in your brain that you get every time you get a, a notification. You get a notification, dopamine, notification, dopamine. Dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. And that's going to get you to contribute more content. And that's going to get you more likes and comments. It's a social validation feedback loop. Exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. He says, the inventors and the creators, it's me, Mark Zuckerberg, Kevin Seistrom on Instagram. It's all these people. They understood it consciously, and we did it anyways. He actually says in that article, he says, um, God only knows what we've done to our children's brains. So he has come out against this now. I mean, he made some billions off at first, which is way easier to take that position. So you got to ask yourself, is it wise to be utilizing platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, LinkedIn? If you don't know what those are, that's fine. That's not even to get started on things like addictive video games, uh, apps. The, the feature that auto-plays the next YouTube video or Netflix film, like it just automatically plays. And you go, oh, I guess I'll just watch one more. They are honestly monetizing your inability to focus. And our inability to utilize wisdom as we engage with technology. Humans create technology, and technology shapes humans. So, what is primarily shaping your understanding of what it means to be human today? See, we need wisdom to engage with this and all kinds of different technology. Um, this is what Andy Crouch calls putting technology in its proper place. This is from a book he wrote called The TechWise Family, which I would highly recommend. There's six statements I'm going to read. I'm just going to straight up read them for you. Technology is in its proper place when it helps us bond with the real people we have been given to love. It is out of its proper place when we end up 
bonding with people at a distance like celebrities whom we will never meet. Technology is in its proper place when it starts great conversations. It is out of its proper place when it prevents us from talking with and listening to each other. There's nothing sadder than going to a restaurant and seeing six people staring at their phones and not talking to each other. Technology is in its proper place when it helps us take care of the fragile bodies we inhabit. It is out of its proper place when it promises to help us escape the limits and vulnerabilities of those bodies altogether. Technology is in its proper place when it helps us acquire skill and mastery of domains that are the glory of human culture, like sports and music and the arts and cooking and writing and accounting, which I did not know accounting was a glory of human culture. Yeah. And I, Leslie Lee, our new, our new elder, he's just, he's just charged up right now. When we let technology replace the development of skill with passive consumption, something has gone wrong. One of the illustrations is, instead of just listening to great music, why don't you learn to play it? Technology is in its proper place when it helps us cultivate awe for the created world we are a part of and responsible for stewarding. It is out of its proper place when it keeps us from engaging the wild and wonderful natural world with all our senses. I grew up in the era of go outside and play and don't come back for a few hours. That's where I grew up. Technology is in its proper place only when we use it with intention and care. If there's one thing I've discovered about technology, he says, it's that it doesn't stay in its proper place on its own. So our interaction with it needs wisdom that purposes our involvement and interaction as opposed to just letting it happen by default. Here's what I'll add to this, and this is the singular goal of our technological engagement. This is my final point. Technology is in its proper place when it's helping us to obey the great commandments of Jesus. Period. Technology is in its proper place when it's helping us to obey the great commandments of Jesus. Anything that does not facilitate that is robbing God and robbing your neighbor. Matthew twenty two thirty seven, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your souls and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This needs to be the goal of our technological engagement. So is your use of technology helping you to love and serve your neighbor? Is your use of technology stirring your affections for Christ, or is it numbing your soul? Is your use of technology leading you to engage God and experience God in increasingly powerful ways, or is your use of technology a hindrance to a life of devotion in word and prayer? Is your use of technology building community or tearing it down? It's a great question for us. Vancouver says the biggest problem in the city socially is loneliness. Well, is your use of technology hindering or helping that problem? I know lots of couples who have met online. I just don't know any of them who got married online. Okay? Our technology should serve our life-on-life relationships, not the other way around. Right? The singular goal of our technological engagement as Christians is that we would live a life worthy of the name of Jesus, worthy of who God is and what he's done. The singular goal of our technological engagement is that we would leverage in the healthiest way all technological advancement for the glory of God and the good of his people. And there are healthy ways to engage in that, and there are unhealthy ways to do that. And here's the good news of the gospel. 
if this has exposed your motivations with technology, uh, you've got a Savior who died so that you could be forgiven. Uh, Jesus takes all of us from the heights of our own Tower of Babel moments, <laughs> and, he, and he brings us into his family through the work of the cross. And we serve the God who made his enemies his friends, who made his enemies his families. So if our motives have been exposed, that's okay. Just come to Jesus. If our lack of wisdom has been exposed, which is basically what I just endured for the last week of prepping this, uh, you need to know that Jesus makes a way for our crooked paths to be made straight. And so we can ask him for help. James tells us that we can ask for wisdom and he'll give it to us without reproach. And so let's ask for wisdom in the way we handle ourselves in this way. He's called us to love God. Jesus called us to love God and love people. And on the cross, he showed us what that looks like. So I just don't want us to allow something to hinder our love for God and hinder our love for our neighbor because we haven't thought about it. So that's the challenge today. He will straighten out our motives. He will straighten out our lack of wisdom and put us on the right path. And I really believe that he gives us power to ensure that we can obey the great commandments in this area so we can trust him. And he'll lead us into this. To love God, love our neighbors. Would you stand with me as we respond? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.